Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Elections have consequences, as the country learned last year when the Biden administration took office. And as Virginians are now learning, now that Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin has taken office to replace Democrat Ralph Northam. Youngkin's election against the partisan alignment of the increasingly Democratic state has been credited to his emphasis on parental power and public education, and his opponent, former Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, having said in a debate, quote, I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach, close quote. And in keeping with his election message, Governor Yunkin issued a series of executive orders that banned the teaching of divisive concepts like critical race theory and affirmed parents' fundamental right to make decisions concerning the care of their children. Joining me to discuss the fundamental shifts in Virginia education policy is Nicole Neely of Parents Defending Education. Uh, Nicole, before we before we begin, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and what your organization does? Sure. So Parents Defending Education launched in March 2021, um, and we were created to give parents the knowledge and the tools they need to be more involved in their children's education. I think, you know, the pandemic was a big wake-up call for a lot of parents because they were finally able to see and hear what their children were learning on a regular basis. Um, right. The, the parents are proctoring Zoom school, and I know, I mean, I live in Maryland, which had one of the longest and most comprehensive school closures in the country. Northern Virginia, my understanding, was not much better. Correct. And I think it, it varied very much jurisdiction to jurisdiction where you were. Um, Arlington County Public Schools were shut down you know, for forever. Um, Fairfax was not much better, although they did open towards the end of, I think, that first year, uh, the first full year. And so it was very yeah. much a mixed bag. But parents were absolutely powerless in this whole situation. Um, you know, my, we used to have, I'm from Chicago originally, and I had a lot of friends who are Democrats reach out to me and say, how do I get my school to listen to me? I don't want my school to be closed. And we would just, my husband and I would sit in our backyard and kind of just like laugh sadly at each other. Like, well, they don't care about you. That's kind of the sad truth of this. And I think that was a real wake up call for a lot of parents. Um, first about what their kids were learning. And then second, how unresponsive the schools were. Right. Right. So the parents are proctoring Zoom school and they think their kids are being taught, you know, your standard reading, writing and arithmetic and so on and so forth. But you get the, the, the introduction of these divisive concepts. Correct. Um, and so, yeah, people were very were horrified because school today is very different than what school was 15, 20 years ago. Um, you know, we used to I grew up in an environment where if there was a problem at school, you know, the principal, the teacher would call the parents in and you would try to work together to come up with some resolution as to how do we you know, get the student back on track. Um, and right now, I think we're seeing, unfortunately, a lot of schools that are working to deliberately undermine or hide from parents what is going on, um, be it a child's gender transition, be it about, you know, different opinions or curriculum. Um, but schools are working at cross purposes with families. And I think that has been um, really horrifying for a lot of people to realize. So let's look at how that I mean, obviously, in the uh, last year's Virginia gubernatorial election, that question of parental rights and parental authority uh, became an, if not the core issue of the certainly the meat of the campaign. Uh, you know, how how arrogant Max Eden calls the sort of institutional uh, he's he's with AEI, the uh, the sort of institutional bureaucracy, the teachers union, the uh, 
you know, the education schools, the school boards, they form an education deep state. How arrogant in Virginia had that become such that it became a motivating factor in a gubernatorial general election? I think it, it I think Virginia was was has been um, pretty bad. Um, you know, it is a state where there's very little school choice. Unfortunately, local school boards have the authority to approve or deny charter school applications. Strangely, very few of them actually want the competition in their backyards. Um, and then we saw things coming from the Virginia Department of Education. I mean, plans to abolish advanced math classes in the name of equity. Um, on the anniversary of 9/11, they had a speaker. Um, present to teachers in the state on how to do how to commemorate 9-11 in a culturally responsive manner, which included not talking about um, terrorism. I mean, it's kind of hard to talk about that day without talking about terrorism. Um, and so, you know, I, it, it'd be it'd be like talking about Pearl Harbor without talking about World War Two. Right. And so, I mean, it's you know, it, it very much struck a lot of families in the state of Virginia that, you know, actually educating our children was not a massive priority for the Virginia Department of Education. Um, and so there was a, a tremendous amount of unhappiness about um, about that, about closures, about the content of education, um, you know, the responsiveness of schools. And now I think even, you know, we're looking at how Virginia over the past several months has been spending or not spending um, ESSER funding to keep schools open. I mean, you know, there were funds that have been earmarked for. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, what's our, what, what was the name of, of the kind of funding? Oh, uh, the ESSER, the E-S-S-E-R, the, the federal funding um, for education. Okay. Um and, you know, we still had schools that were closed because they didn't use the money that they should have used to buy masks, to buy air uh, purification mm. systems. And so we have mm. schools that are closed. Um, where is the money? I, you know, people deserve to know how their tax dollars have been spent. And strangely, you know, there's a huge amount of opacity because districts don't actually want to turn over that information or tell people. Mm. So... Obviously, then there was the general election. The Republican Yunkin wins uh, in what was an upset and kind of goes against, you know, I, I grew up in Virginia. It used to be a not rock rib Republican state, but a, but a relatively Republican state and has increasingly with the realignment of American politics along educational lines uh, swung to the left. Um, and uh, but not in 2021. Um so what now, uh, he took office this weekend, what has Governor Young, now Governor Yunkin done uh, to try to address the issues that were brought up during the campaign? Sure. So he, I mean, on day one issued a series of executive orders, um, one on masking, one on um, banning divisive concepts, as you said. And, um, you know, immediately that was met with absolute resistance from a number of districts, particularly those in Northern Virginia, saying, nope, we're going to keep masking. Nope. For, for, the, for those unfamiliar with the political geography of Virginia, Northern Virginia is the suburbs of D.C., uh, which are staunchly Democratic. Right. Um, and so it remains to be seen how this will shake out. I suspect there will be legal challenges that are brought. Um, but, you know, it's, it's a real mess. And as um, Governor Youngkin pointed out when asked about this, um, you know, he is he has heard the cries of parents. He has heard the demands and has tried to respond to those. And it seems like the education blob, you know, the unions, the, you know, teachers, associations, um, school boards, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, Virginia, not all of under the previous governor, Virginia adopted a locality by locality collective bargaining for government workers, most prominently teachers. Uh, not every county has it, 
Uh, most of the Northern Virginia counties do, is my understanding. Okay. Um, um, and those, and to the extent that they do not collectively bargain, they have uh, these education associations. Uh, Virginia Education Association, I think, is the big one. Uh, and that is part of the NEA, the largest of the national teachers' unions. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have, they very clearly do not, have not listened to anything the parents have said. And if anything, you know, the response we have gotten from school boards in Loudoun, in Fairfax, is it turns out that the consent of the governed is a real problem. It's a real inconvenience in trying to jam through an unpopular agenda. And so I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're going to continue to see tension between families and school boards. Um, and, you know, it's little wonder that people are peeling away from the public school system, um, you know, flocking to homeschools, private schools in droves because and in his and in his speaking of that in his budget address my understanding is that Yunkin endorsed uh again you had mentioned that Virginia has very little school choice that Yunkin had endorsed a substantial expansion of it right and so um yeah people are demanding to be present in their children's education and if they're not getting the answers they demand then they will walk um and that will be to the detriment of these public school systems that have you know they depend on federal and state funding to to state to keep their doors open I mean, I guess, like, the question, and maybe we've already answered it, um, you know, is it that the, the, the education blob, the education deep state, whatever you want to call it, uh, just fundamentally opposes parental oversight and control, that, that they just kind of agree with McAuliffe's quote? <laughs> I do. Sadly, I do think so. I mean, you know, let's remember McAuliffe was, he was a Clinton guy, right? And so Hillary Clinton wrote that book, It Takes a Fam, or It Takes a Village, right? I mean, it takes a village, yeah. I think this is, the opposite of It Takes a Family. This, it's not a gaffe if you really sincerely believe that, like, well, this is, you know, kind of our collective responsibility. Um, and, and, you bring, and, you bring, and he brought Randy Weingarten, the head of the other major national teachers union, to his pre-election rally right to headline um, like you know that he's he he was in, integrated into this uh left progressive uh education blob yeah and we just saw um recently the michigan democratic party um had a, a social media post that they ended up having to take down because it sparked such a backlash but um they basically asserted that the point of public school is to prepare you for being part of society and so you know we're the stakeholders not you and I mean, it's, wow, you just weren't paying attention to those Virginia elections at all, were you? Because, I mean, this army of mama bears and papa bears that is has awoken, they are not backing down. I mean, to me, it was a big question last year during September when schools went back to in-person education. Would parents kind of start to recede, you know, out of sight, out of mind? Let's just get back uh, to normal. The, door, the, do the, door, the doors are open. Everything's fine. Right. Let's let's go back to complacency. No, and that didn't happen at all. If anything, I think parents were even more, you know, worked up hysterical because I can't see what my child is learning now, and I don't trust you as far as I can throw you. And I think, you know, what worries me is that this trust between families and school systems is very broken right now. And how do we get things back on track? How can school mm -hmm. systems restore that trust? And I think it has to be through radical. I mean, answer answer, answer your answer your own question. Uh, you know, what 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 would you what would you do if you to try to put put some of this right? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step has to be transparency, radical candor. I mean, people don't know what their children are learning. When they ask their teachers, when they ask their principals, they're told to file a public records request. I shouldn't have to jump through a bunch of hoops, spend a bunch of money to learn what my student is learning on a regular basis. Because, I mean, I have a six-year-old and eight-year-old. If I ask them, they say, 
we had pizza at lunch. I don't actually get an honest answer. Um, and so that should be yeah, the default they, setting. They, they, don't know, they don't know what's, don't going, know what's on. going on. <laughs> yeah. But the default setting, everyone should know what their child is learning. Um, and then people can make informed decisions about, do I want to stay at this school? Should I you know, consider other options? Because you know, right now, it, I don't know. And, and I frankly, I'm going to assume the worst. And I think, sadly, a lot of parents around the country do assume the worst. And we have a tip line. We have people who send us screenshots, PDFs from around the country. You know, it's it's for good reason. Um, there is a lot of mischief taking place behind closed doors at schools, and parents should be concerned. What are some examples of that? Um, we have schools around the country that are transitioning children behind their parents' backs, maintaining two separate sets of records and not reading parents in on that, so parents are unable to obtain the medical care that their children need. Um, that, to me, is a gross betrayal of parental mm. rights. Um, you know, age-inappropriate material, be it sexually, be it social studies-based, um, I mean, this this was an issue. That, I remember that was an issue in Virginia because one of the, a couple of the school systems had a graphic uh, piece of material in their libraries, and there were protests and debates about removing it. And right, and for parents to express concern, I mean, they were mocked, they were called book burners. But then, you know, when parents would try and put a screenshot of the you know offending pages on Twitter. Um, they were, you know, you get a, this page has been blocked for, you know, offensive content. Um, yeah, for, the Independent Women's Forum tried to content. put ads up on TV and they were told, this is obscene. You can't put that on television. Well, why do, you know, fifth, sixth, seventh graders have access to this if it is so obscene? That raises real questions. If, if, you, if you can't put it over the air, it's probably not appropriate for children who have not attained the age of 18 years. Right. <laughs> um, and so it's just that lack of control, I think, that really, that worries parents. I mean, uh, the elimination of gifted programs in the name of equity, um, just because not everybody is special. And this, and this was a big, and this was a big, and this was a big issue in in Fairfax County, Virginia, one of the DC suburbs, uh, with Thomas Jefferson School. Correct. Um, and so, you know, people are mad for a number of reasons. Um, you know, the, the closures have really impacted people's quality of life. Um, women have left the workforce in droves. It's questionable whether many of these women will ever return. Um, you know, that's going to set back the, the cause of women's equality, you know, decades. Um, but every time the school systems are closed, um, you know, somebody has to take a day off of work. And so, you know, we're not addressing the significant and, like, I mean, monumental learning loss that has disproportionately impacted disadvantaged students. Um, and when students are back in the classrooms for, remember, a finite period of time, they are not being taught, you know, making up the reading, the writing, the math that they have suffered. Instead, they're having social justice and social emotional learning classes shoved down their throats instead. Um, you know, that's, we, I think we that's discussed, a bad use of time discussed. and resources. Yeah, we discussed social emotional learning last week with Jay Green of Heritage. Uh, what's what what have you seen in this sort of social emotional learning that has troubled you, other other than its mere existence? Yeah, I mean the existence in and of itself is troubling because um, Fairfax County actually had a request for proposal um, for related to an SEL program, and they asserted that schools are now the primary mental health care providers for students. Um, if my child needs guidance, needs counseling, I will send them to a professional. I do not want that being performed by some unlicensed teacher who doesn't know what they're doing um, without my input, mm -hmm. without my guidance. At the end of the day, they're my children, and those are my decisions to make. And so the fact that schools are taking this, you know, zero-sum amount of time, and they're trying to, you know, social engineer our children, people should be angry, and they should be concerned, and they should ask and they're, questions. And they're, and, they're going well, and they're going well beyond their competence. Absolutely. You know, they're asking deeply intrusive questions. They're data mining our children. And then where's all of that information going? Um, I mean, 
On average, school two school systems a day are hacked. What data is being collected about my child, about his feelings, and how will that be used against him or her in the future? I mean, these are really, really big questions because, you know, big tech has not shown themselves to be good actors in this space either. Um, you know, our children are bits of data. They are, you know, they're, you know, information fonts to be mined. Um, and that should bother people as well. Indeed. Uh I guess then, uh, before we break, do you have do you have any or of your or of parents defending education work that you'd like to promote, bring our listeners' attention to? Sure, we continue to keep an eye on the National School Board Association's request to the Biden administration um, for federal intervention into school board. Spe- speaking of speaking of evidence that the education deep state does not care at all about parental control, the right. the domestic terrorist letter. Yeah. Um, I filed all of the Freedom Information Act requests related to that um, letter that the NSBA sent in October. So we're still receiving uh, responses back from some of those districts. Um, board members were not read in on the operation. State chapters of the NSBA were not read in on that. Um, a number of- Yeah, we, we had a discussion with uh, several weeks ago with the Ohio uh, with a representative from the Ohio School Boards Association after they disaffiliated. And that was her read on the situation. Yeah, is so. We got blind, we, is that they got blindsided. Absolutely blindsided. Um, but yeah, who knew when um, one one board officer suggested that it was requested by Cardona. Um, America First Legal um, has put in request to the D- Department of Justice's Office of Inspector General alleging that this was done at the behest of the White House as kind of a pretextual thing to mm-hmm. um, influence the elections. I mean, the American people deserve answers as to who in the administration was involved, why, and what happened. And there should be accountability for that. Mm-hmm. And, and those investigations are ongoing. Yes. All right. Well, we look forward to their uh, conclusion, hopefully their successful conclusion. Uh, and I would like to thank again Nicole Neely of Parents Defending Education for joining us. Uh, we will include links to some of her work in today's show notes. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all next week. 